Hello and welcome to the Delaware Football Roundup podcast by WVUD Sports. I'm Sports Director Brandon Hovec, here with a special preview episode of the podcast ahead of Delaware's playoff matchup against James Madison this weekend. Kickoff is slated for 3 o'clock p.m. in Harrisonburg, Virginia. A few days ago, Josh Deal, Jake Lampert, and I hopped on the podcast with Josh and Jake from their homes to break down the news that Delaware did make it into the playoffs for the first time since 2010 and that their first round opponent was James Madison. We jumped into the Dukes a little bit on that episode, but now here for a lengthier preview of the matchup between Delaware and James Madison. Later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by Katie Harper, the co-sports editor of The Breeze, James Madison's student newspaper, to talk about this matchup from James Madison's perspective. It's a really interesting conversation And I'm super pumped to have her on the podcast this week. But first, I want to talk about Delaware's quarterback situation. That's going to be the big question heading into this matchup against James Madison. Who is going to play behind center for Delaware? Obviously, the most important position on the field for any team. And it has certainly led to the slight increase, I would say, in success of this team by having Pat Kehoe back there, who has, in the words of James Madison head coach Mike Houston, steadied the ship. For the Blue Hens. On Saturday, Kehoe against Villanova left the game in the first quarter with concussion-like symptoms. He did not return to the game, and afterward, head coach Danny Rocco revealed that Kehoe has been playing with a partially torn ACL, which likely dates back to the game against New Hampshire on October 20th. On Monday, Kehoe said he was optimistic that Kehoe, Rocco said, excuse me, that he was optimistic Kehoe would play in the game against James Madison this Saturday. On Tuesday, he offered no comment to the News Journal's Kevin Tresolini at practice. And on Wednesday, Delaware closed off practice from the media for the rest of the week. So our last true update on Packy Hill comes Monday, which obviously a far cry from Saturday's game. Any number of things could happen in the time from Monday to Saturday. So we do not know Packy Hill's status heading into this game against Delaware. We do know he did not practice Tuesday and that he was, quote, optimistic. The team was optimistic about his chances of playing Saturday, but that goes back to Monday. So who would play if Kehoe can't? The first answer is Nolan Henderson. But Henderson, too, was sidelined on Tuesday with an apparent ankle or foot injury. He was in a walking boot, according to the News Journal's Kevin Tresolini. Henderson came in to the Villanova game in relief of Kehoe. I thought he performed well. We talked about it On the last episode of the podcast, 12 for 20 passing, a little over 150 passing yards for the Smyrna High graduate in his first true collegiate action. But in that game, Henderson did leave briefly in the first half. He returned for the second drive of the second half and played the rest of the way for Delaware. But by the end of the game, Henderson was noticeably limping on that ankle. Uh, So that's something to monitor. He did not practice on Tuesday. So if Henderson isn't available to go, who's next up? The answer to that is J.P. Caruso, the transfer from Appalachian State who started the final five games of the season for the Blue Hens a year ago. To mixed results, he improved Delaware's passing attack to an average of 120 passing yards per game last season. That was up from less than 100 in the two previous years, but did not have that that shining performance, did not have that big game, right? When you think about what Pat Kehoe was able to do against Towson, throwing for over 300 passing yards, bringing them back in the second half against the Tigers. He didn't quite have that type of performance, but he did have the comeback game against Stony Brook, his first real action for the Blue Hens, where they win 24-20, to 20, 
and he had the overtime game against Richmond, where he makes enough plays. He made some mistakes, too, but he makes plays down the stretch to help Delaware get that win on that final touchdown pass to Charles Scarf. So Caruso, able option, right? But he, too, has been hit by the injury bug. Caruso did not practice on Tuesday, again, according to the News Journal's Kevin Tresselini, because of a shoulder injury. His arm, his passing arm, uh, in a shoulder sling Tuesday. Again, no update Wednesday or Thursday, the final two practices of the week, as we sit here today on Friday morning at about 10.32 a.m. Just a walkthrough for the Blue Hens today, so that practice would typically be closed off to the media anyway, uh, so we won't get an update today. Caruso, like Henderson, like Giho, also in question. A lot of people have brought up Boston College transfer Darius Wade. Wade was a graduate of Middletown High School, one of the top players in Delaware in his time at, with the Cavaliers. Could he be an option and get his first start in a Blue Hens uniform? It seems unlikely Wade has been sidelined for much of the second half of the season with a shoulder injury. Again, he too did not practice on Tuesday. So one, two, three, and four, the first, second, third, and fourth stringers, all sidelined Tuesday for Delaware. Who gets the start next? Who gets the next call? Could be wide receiver Joe Walker. Walker, a three-year starter at quarterback before he was moved out to wide receiver permanently before the start of this season, about halfway through last year once J.P. Caruso solidified his standing as Delaware's starting quarterback. We saw a little bit of Walker outside, but he has really taken on that role to new heights this season and led the team with 671 receiving yards on the year. His 21 yards per reception this season is the top in the CAA and one of the best marks in the nation. Potentially, you move that wide receiver threat back to quarterback, a position where he struggled, averaging about 80 passing yards in his three seasons as a starting quarterback with Delaware, but could be an option. Delaware, with Joe Walker as its starting quarterback, lost to James Madison last season 20-10. to Walker in that game, 5 for 11, 47 passing yards, an interception, and a fumble that was recovered for a touchdown by James Madison. That was on one of those screen passes out to Kareem Williams that ends up being a backwards pass that Williams was unable to reel in, and it just bounces the perfect way up to the James Madison defender, and he takes it a little over 20 yards the other way for a touchdown. If Delaware does not opt for Joe Walker, the other option who was taking reps at the position Tuesday is Anthony Paoletti, a true freshman who is a very highly regarded prospect. And when you look at Delaware's quarterback situation into future years, it's likely comes down to Anthony Paoletti and Nolan Henderson. So could Paoletti get his first go at quarterback against James Madison in the playoffs? Would not be the most ideal situation by any means to throw a true freshman into his first collegiate action in a playoff game against James Madison. But with the new redshirt rules, he would not lose this year of eligibility if he played on Saturday. Nobody's seen him on tape. Perhaps Anthony Paoletti would be another option for Delaware quarterback. So that's the big question mark heading into this weekend's game. We won't know until really we get to to the on-field warm-ups. We'll get to see you know who who is in uniform, who's warming up. Uh, and then we won't really know the full decision until we hit kickoff Saturday at 3 o'clock p.m. My hunch at this point, just based off what Delaware has said and what we do know, is the number one option is Pat Kehoe being healthy. 
And if if he is good enough to go, if he's at 60% and the doctors in Kehoe say he is ready to go, then he will play. And and that's the best option at this point for Delaware. He has the most experience. He's started every game this season for the Blue Hens. You're not pressing anybody else into a situation that they're not prepared for. If he can't go and say Nolan Henderson is okay, that the ankle, the foot, whatever the injury is, if that's not limiting him, I think he has perhaps the most upside of all of these quarterbacks. We saw how athletic and how quick, how much twitch he had against Villanova this past weekend, making a few plays with his legs, in particular the one where they're backed up inside their own 20, and he sets the defensive player up for the Nova defensive player up with this massive juke move, gets him almost to basically break his ankles, and Henderson sprints up the right sideline. I think moving forward, he's got a lot of potential. The knock on Henderson's going to be his size. Can he hold up over an 11-game season? And we saw signs of, of that not being the case against Villanova. He took a lot of hits. Like I said, by the end of the game, he was noticeably limping. I, I thought there was a case to be made down three touchdowns to maybe pull him out at the end of the game against Delaware, but hindsight, or excuse me, against Villanova, but hindsight is 2020. Uh, you think, okay, he's got sacked four times toward the end of this game against Villanova. He's gotten hit on multiple other throws as the Nova pass rushers just pinning their ears back and getting after Henderson, given the 21-point lead. Should, should we try to preserve this guy in case we need him next week? That being said, you didn't know that you had this game coming this weekend, if you lost the game against Villanova. So all, all, all chips are in the basket. You go for it with Henderson down the stretch. If he's ready and Kehoe's not, he's your number two option. Uh, but I don't know the severity, can't, can't speculate the severity of his injury. Same thing goes for J.P. Caruso. If the top two guys are, are, are a no-go and Caruso is healthy enough to play, I think he gets to get the go in a more limited offensive structure for Delaware. If all three of those guys are still sidelined, I think that's when you get into the, to the conversation about Joe Walker. And I think he would be the next option. I think he would be the preferred option to starting true freshman Anthony Paoletti. Or I, I'm pretty sure Darius Wade's not going to play in this game. So I think he would be the next option. And it's not a great one. I don't think a year of playing wide receiver all of a sudden makes you a better quarterback. He's going to have signs of rust. I think it's going to be a very conservative offensive approach if they go with Joe Walker. I'm not saying it should be. It's probably a situation where Delaware is not nearly as talented as JMU, and they need to take chances in order to stay in this game. But I think if you have Joe Walker at your at quarterback, you're going to run a lot of the same kind of wildcat sets or whatever you want to call them that we've seen through the course of the season and then you're going to mix in some of your standard passing plays, but again, in a more limited offensive structure. That's probably the plan if the top four guys can't go on Saturday. That's where we're at with Delaware Blue Hens football. It's a tough break for a team that had been very healthy all throughout the regular season. I wrote this in my latest piece for the review, that 20 of the 22 opening night starters started the game against Villanova. And the two that did not were Nigel Hill, the cornerback, and center Colin Wallish. And both Hill and Wallish were in uniform and active for that game. Hill did play a couple of series on the defensive side. Wallish played special teams as part of the the kick unit. Uh, He was injured midway through the season. Mario Farinella took his spot at center in Delaware, ended up feeling more comfortable with that through the course of the season. And Nigel Hill, after a couple rough games, 
against North Dakota State and Richmond. Eventually got benched for Casey Hinton. But again, we have seen those guys both play. So Delaware's been remarkably healthy throughout the course of this season. And now the injury bug catching up to them with these injuries to the quarterbacks. Earlier, I mentioned my story for the review, which was just published this morning. It's a breakdown of the top injuries, storylines, and other facts and figures heading into the Delaware JMU game this weekend. And there's just a couple other things that I want to reference from that before we head into my conversation with Katie Harper of The Breeze. One thing that that stands out when you look at James Madison on paper, particularly after their 38-17 to win against Towson a week ago, is the running attack. And it's a running attack that gashed Delaware for over 200 yards a season ago. They come back with Trey Sharp again, who was the leading rusher against the Blue Hens in 2017, as well as Cardin Johnson, who missed the last two seasons with an Achilles injury, and Marcus Marshall. Marshall, however, injured in the past couple of games, so we probably won't see much of him. But Cardin Johnson and Trey Sharp provide yet another two-headed duo that will likely challenge this Blue Hens front seven. That has certainly struggled in the past couple of weeks containing the run. Last week, it was Aaron Forbes who had 138 yards against the Blue Hens. The week before, Donald Leotine put up 170 yards against Delaware. That's the most they've given up this season to any rusher in the CAA or otherwise. You'll hear Katie say it, and it's something that Mike Houston, JMU's head coach, said earlier in the week, that Delaware has a big and talented front seven, so running the football will be a challenge for them. That's certainly true when you look at these guys on paper. When you think about Buck Buchanan, award watch list selectee, Troy Reader, that award given to the best FCS defender in the nation, best of anybody. And you think about Charles Bell, a former all-conference selection, Colby Reader, last year's defensive rookie of the year, Cam Kitchen, an all-CIA selection this year. When those guys are on paper, I, I have, you know, there's no question why teams think that this is one of the best run defense units in the CAA, and they certainly have the talent to be one. But one of the things I wrote about is that they simply haven't in the last couple of weeks, and it's something that Danny Rocco was asked about on Monday, as well as Troy Reader and Malcolm Brown. And, and Rocco said, you know, we haven't performed up to that preseason expectation of one of the FCS's best defenses, and we have another opportunity this weekend to rise to that level and play a complete game as a defensive unit, which we haven't done yet. And that's something that Malcolm Brown echoed in his statement to that type of questioning, saying that, you know, we we have the talent to put together one of these complete defensive performances, but we haven't been able to do so, whether it's a couple of plays that break the opposite way for us, or simply we make mistakes uh, against some of these more talented CAA teams. When I asked Troy Reader about this, about the running defense and about some of the guys they've faced in the past couple of weeks that have, have really had their way against them. Reader said, you know, the, the CAA certainly prepares you for a challenge like the one JMU dis- will display this weekend in that week in, week out in the CAA, you're going to get your teeth bashed in. You're going to be playing against some hard football teams, especially teams on the ground. And more often than not, these CAA teams predicate themselves on the rushing attack, so they want to establish the run just as much as Delaware wants to limit it, and it becomes that grudge match. And in, in the recent weeks, you know, when you look at Delaware, they have lost that battle along the line of scrimmage. You could argue they lost it against Albany, another team that really wants to run the football with Elijah Ibatokan Hanks and Carl Mofer 
and that against Delaware was playing a freshman in his first ever start at quarterback, Jeff Undercuffler. Towson certainly ran the football against Delaware, put up 36 points. Shane Simpson over 120 yards in that game. Then you look earlier in the season, though, limiting the, the, the ground attack by New Hampshire, limiting Elon, limiting Richmond. That, that's the best three-game stretch of this Blue Hen season. So if they can hearken back to that, they might have a chance against this very talented James Madison team. But if they let Cardin Johnson, if they let Trey Sharp, even Ben DiNucci, a quarterback who's mobile, can extend plays, can make something happen with his legs, it could be a long afternoon for Delaware. And that's, that's the challenge the, defenses face, the defense faces early in this matchup, is keeping their offense in the game by limiting the run, limiting the big plays that this offense is certainly capable of, and that their offense, particularly if it's with a backup quarterback, might not be capable of matching. A few other things to watch out for numbers-wise for this Blue Hens team. On third down, they've struggled in the past couple of weeks. In their last three games, 12 for 42 on third down. That's a conversion rate of just 28.6%. That's down from their season-long average of 36% and down from their 2017 average of 42%. How will they do better on third down against James Madison? They always talk about staying ahead of the sticks. And with a question mark at quarterback, that is more true in this game than ever before. Can they establish the run on first and second down? A lot of teams, and you'll see them on Sundays, high flying. They want to throw the ball on first down. Now they want to get the ball down the field. They view it as three chances to pick up those 10 yards, not three plays where they need to pick up, you know, four apiece. Delaware has got to think about it in that second type of conversation, especially if it's somebody like Joe Walker at quarterback who hasn't played the position in in about a year, a little over a year. You know, can they can they get three, four, five yards at a time with the ground attack? And it's been a rushing unit that has struggled this season in comparison to the past two seasons where they were the number two rushing offense in the CAA. This year, the team's averaging just three yards per attempt heading into the playoffs. Last year, that number was 4.2. The season before, that number was 5.2. A lot of that in this game against James Madison is going to rest on Dejon Lee, the redshirt sophomore transfer from Army. Kanai Kane's status is still in question for this game against James Madison. He did play against Villanova, but saw very limited action and did not receive a carry. Dealing with a knee injury, on Monday, Rocco said, it's more likely than not that Kane will be playing against James Madison. But what that role looks like is still to be determined. So Dejon Lee will likely get the bulk of the carries for Delaware. He had 14 carries for a little under 100 rushing yards against Villanova. A little interesting anecdote from Monday's press conference. He said coming out of high school, he went to Lake Braddock High School in Springfield, Virginia. He said his favorite school coming out was James Madison, but that the Dukes told him he was too small. And that it's something that has stuck with him and that he has used as fuel in the past couple of seasons to get to the point where he's at right now. He's a very small guy for even a running back at this level where you see guys 5'9", 5'10", making big plays. He's more in the neighborhood of 5'7", 5'8", but has been a very effective rusher for this Blue Hens team. He has the highest yards per carry average of any other rushers, and that's including Kanai Kane, who leads the team this year with 595 rushing yards on the season. So go check out that story. It is live on udreview.com right now. The headline is Blue Hens-Jukes, matchups, storylines, injuries, and more 
ahead of Delaware's playoff game against JMU. We have a few other stories up on the Brevue website right now about the matchup between the Blue Hens and the Dukes, and we'll have a couple more coming later this afternoon and throughout the weekend, so stay tuned for that. And also, we will have game coverage on 91.3 WVUD beginning at 2.45 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. Josh Deal and I will be on the call as Delaware matches up against James Madison in its first playoff game since 2010. We'll have a new edition of the Delaware Football Roundup, likely Sunday morning, recapping and analyzing whatever goes down Saturday afternoon. And then we'll go from there with our coverage on UDReview.com and here with Blue Hen Sports Cage and 91.3 WVUD. We appreciate all of your support reading us and listening to us throughout this Blue Hens football season. And it should be a lot of fun Saturday afternoon as Delaware travels to Harrisonburg, as do we, for the matchup between the Blue Hens and the Dukes. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Katie Harper of James Madison University's student newspaper, The Breeze, on this matchup between Delaware and James Madison. And now we welcome in Katie Harper from The Breeze, James Madison's student newspaper to help us break down Delaware's matchup this weekend against James Madison. The Dukes coming into this matchup 8-3 and three on the season and 6-2 and two in the CIA. Katie, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So to start it off, uh, kind of what's the the level of expectation for this James Madison season heading into the playoffs? Obviously, it's their first year in a long time not winning the CAA, but still ranked fairly highly in the national poll heading into the last week of the season, coming off a big week against Towson last weekend. What what would you say is kind of the expectation heading into this year's postseason tournament? I would say this year... From a reporting standpoint, it is definitely a little more up in the air than it has been the past few years. You know, Houston's first year, he had one loss coming into the postseason, and it was to North Carolina. Last year, they were undefeated. This year, with the three losses, it's a little more up in the air, especially looking at the road that it would take to get back to Frisco. But one thing I have noticed since covering this team is Houston prepares these guys to be at a mental state where they would run through a wall to win a game. So with that being said, I think from a fan aspect, people are, are expecting them to get back to Frisco. It's just what they've come to expect over the past couple of years. I think it's going to be a little difficult to get there this year. There's some tough competition before even the national semifinals. I mean, there's a chance to go to uh, Fargo in the quarterfinals. So it's going to be a tough road. Fan expectations are definitely to get back and win it. Reporting standpoint, I think it's going to be a difficult one to do. One of the things that you had written about earlier this week and that Houston had talked about a lot at the you know right after the selection show and then the next day was the fact that James Madison wasn't seated uh, and the team's relatively dis- disappointment in the fact that they didn't get one of those top eight seeds and that they didn't get a first-round bye and they end up matching up against Delaware in this first weekend. Were you surprised by the fact they didn't get a seed, and do you feel like they were deserving of one? I was surprised they didn't get one. I know people have made the argument that they lost one game, obviously, with the NC State, so no one really faults them for that one, especially since it was close. But the loss to New Hampshire and the loss to Elon were pretty bad losses. But in the eyes of a lot of people at JNU, the New Hampshire loss was to the New Hampshire team that everybody expected at the beginning of the year before Trevor Knight got hurt. And then the loss to Elon was with a completely healthy Elon team. 
So we didn't think they were as bad of losses, so we thought that was going to be taken in consideration, especially with some of the teams that ended up being seated higher than JMU with some of their schedules. So there was definitely an element of surprise that day. And um, on top of that, after – sorry, my cat is in the room with me. <laughs> You're good. I'm leaving the room from that one. But on top of that, it was also surprising after the FCS stats poll and the coaches poll both came out and had JMU at six. We were left wondering what the selection committee didn't see. And so there was definitely surprise there. And the team, we were at the watch party that day, and the team was just at a loss for words when they weren't selected. Do you think that has any – do you think that has any, like, implications or effect on this weekend's game? Or do you think kind of past that they, they kind of carry on as business as usual? I think it's a little bit of a mix of both. When we spoke to them on Sunday, there was definitely still anger from not being seated and – um, our running back, Trey Sharp, said they play their best football when they're pissed off and they're pissed off. But at the same time, I think Houston has them at a point where they're going to focus on this weekend's game and they're just going to play football the way they know they can play football. So I think there is definitely a little bit of anger and um, part of them that wants to prove people wrong, doubting them this season. But at the same time, I think they're going to carry on like they always do. You mentioned the two CAA losses to Elon and then to New Hampshire, the the Elon one, you know, that was a, a good team. They had their quarterback and their starting running back at that point in the season. It was just a field goal difference. Uh, but the one that we're kind of curious about here when you look at the schedule just from the outside looking in is how they lost to New Hampshire. You mentioned Trevor Knight was back and healthy for that game, who was the CAA preseason player of the year. Uh, but what what did you see in that game against New Hampshire? And you know, basically, how, how did the, the Dukes fall in that one? I think the way they started out obviously didn't help with um, our quarterback, Ben DiNucci, fumbling it on the first one, which led to a touchdown. And then the pick six on the next drive that led to a touchdown. You know, I mean, the JMU defense played great in that game, and obviously the score doesn't show it necessarily because when people first see the score, they're like, oh, that wasn't a good score. But most of the scoring New Hampshire had was coming off their offense or their defense scoring on Jamie's offense. So the offense was kind of the thing that let the team down that week. The defense has been pretty solid all season. Um, But one thing we noticed in that game was that Ben DiNucci, in a way, hit a wall, and he got knocked down. And since then, in the past two weeks since that game, JMU's offense has looked like a completely different unit. They slowed down in the middle of the season, but they're now back to what they look like against NC State in the early games of the season. Yeah, last week, three uh, rushers over 100 yards against Towson. And from our experience with James Madison the past couple of years, it's been a team that's always had a really good running attack. And it seems like this year's not much different uh, between Cardin Johnson and Trey Sharp and then what the quarterback Danucci offers what do you see from that position group? And, you know, is is it a group that's primed for another big day against Delaware on Saturday? Heading into the season, everybody thought the rush attack was going to be what Jamie's offense circulated around with the new quarterback since Brian Short graduated. And we and Jamie had backs like Trey Sharp, Cardin Johnson, and Marcus Marshall, who's been out a couple weeks with an injury. Everybody thought that this was going to be the group to carry the team. They've been 
slow this season. They didn't okay. have the best start um, in the past yesterday or last week was the first time they had a single back get over 100 yards rushing, and they ended up having three different people do it. So that was definitely a somewhat of a surprise. I think they're definitely starting to find their footing as we get deeper into the season. Um, someone like Cardin Johnson has really come into his own. He missed two straight seasons with an Achilles injury, and he's Houston has said that he's just now getting back to really being 100% healthy, and they've been expecting a big game out of him all season, and it came last weekend. So I think now that they have that momentum, I think it's something that is going to carry over against Delaware. But at the same time, Delaware does put up a good rush at defense, so it won't, it won't be an easy thing for them to accomplish. But I definitely think they have the potential to do it. And how has the, the passing game developed this season? You mentioned Shore graduating last year, and now Danucci in his first year. What have you seen there from James Madison? Heading into the season, when there was still the quarterback battle, I thought that they, before they announced it, I thought it was going to be Danucci because he was most similar to Shore out of him and Cole Johnson. So I thought they would go that route. And then in the first game, Danucci did somewhat emulate sure and the ability to run and throw but as the season's progressed things have kind of become more clear about the kind of quarterback Danucci is he definitely has he's definitely a better runner than Shore was but Shore is probably a better passer so Danucci's passing it's not bad obviously but it's not what this team has seen in past years but it's something that has also started to progress and he's I think he's gotten a little more confident in past the past couple of weeks when he's finding his game a little bit more. And I think that's led to him being able to find his receivers. And they've been Jamie's been using six, seven different receivers in each game. And it won't even be the same six and seven each week. So I think the passing game is something that still has room to improve, but at the same time it keeps defenses honest. If they just start running the ball, they may look at Jamie as the run the running school, but then they can still hurt people through the air. When we look at James Madison's defense, is there a position group or a level of the defense that stands out as a strength across the season? Uh, probably the rush defense. There are so many guys up front that they just, they're constantly rotating in and out. And so it gets to a point where the offenses are getting tired. They keep running and they're not getting in, getting much is off of it because JMU just keeps everybody fresh. They just have some players up front that really stop people. They have Landon Ward, who he was out for the start of the season. He came back against Villanova, and he's been lights out since he's back. Dimitri Holloway missed last season with an injury, and this is his first year back, and he's been lights out. Rondell Carter has been finding the backfield and getting sacks every, it seems like every game. It's just the list of the defensive linemen at JNU that have made a difference this year is endless. When you look at Delaware's team, and I'm not sure how much you've been able to look at the Blue Hens, obviously they didn't play James Madison this season, but they've played in the past couple of years last year, defeating the Blue Hens 20-10 to 10 here in Newark. When you look at Delaware uh, from, from the outside in, what, what do you perceive as their strengths and maybe some weaknesses that James Madison might try to exploit? I think one thing I wrote about earlier this week was their 
uh, rush defense. I think that's going to pose a threat to JMU's um, running backs, especially since they haven't necessarily had the opportunity um, to have several games of great success. So I think that may put a limit on how well they can run. So I think that's probably going to be the toughest thing for JMU that I've noticed is just being able to get the run game started because when they get the run game started, everything kind of just opens up for them. On top of that, has Rocco said who's starting at quarterback? I know on the teleconference earlier this week he said he wasn't 100% sure yet. That's that's the great mystery. So Kehoe has okay. been the starter all season. He got hurt last week. He has not. Pra- he did not practice Monday and Tuesday, uh, but they said he's. They're optimistic that he'll come back and be healthy. Uh, but they closed off practice to the media starting on Wednesday, uh, because it was I reported that, that uh, the backup Nolan Henderson and the third stringer J.P. Caruso, as well as the fourth stringer Darius Wade, were all sidelined. So on Tuesday, Joe Walker, who moved to wide receiver before this mm-hmm. season, was taking most of the reps at quarterback. So we'll, we'll see. From, yeah, from an outsider's perspective, I think that's probably going to be Delaware's biggest weakness is just the quarterback position. When when you don't know who's going to be back there, it can be a little difficult to prepare. Um, and JMU's secondary, while they are without their the CAA preseason defender, defense player of the year, Rashad Robinson, Jimmy Moreland has been, I think, every quarterback's worst nightmare this season. Mm-hmm. He has been... I, um, Tom Flacco said it after the Towson game that you just kind of see him everywhere. He's not set in one place. He's just ev- like everywhere deep. And I think if Delaware isn't 100% set on their quarterback situation, I think that could really end up benefiting JMU. Absolutely. That's, that's what we're all kind of wondering here is who's actually going to trot out there behind center uh, if it's not Pat Kehoe. Uh, Katie, do you have any other questions for me or anything else that you wanted to mention about James Madison? I don't know. I think it's definitely going to be a good game. I would not be shocked if it's similar to last year's game. And I think there's two teams that are definitely going to come out firing at the beginning of the game. I think of JMU angry that they weren't they weren't given a bye week this week. And I think you have Delaware as a team that's excited to be back in the playoffs. So I think it's going to be a good game, and I wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of points from either team.